This is Andrew Sill, Associate Music Director of New York City Ballet, and I'm your guest host for this episode of See the Music. Today we're talking about a work that's both an audience favorite at New York City Ballet and a favorite of dancers and musicians in the company. It's The Serenade for Strings by Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky, a glorious example of the composer's genius in which he marries classical forms, folk tunes, and extroverted romantic expression. I mentioned that Serenade is a favorite here at New York City Ballet, but the composition was also a favorite of Tchaikovsky himself. In October of 1880, he wrote to his patron, Nadia von Meck, saying, and I'm quoting, Imagine, my dear friend, my muse has been very generous of late. I have written two long works very rapidly, the 1812 Overture and a Serenade in Four Movements for String Orchestra. The overture will be very noisy. I wrote it without much warmth or enthusiasm, and therefore it has no great artistic value. The serenade, on the contrary, I wrote from a true inner impulse. I felt it. And whether because this is my latest offspring or because it actually isn't too bad, I just love this serenade terribly." End quote. So let's listen to a bit of the grand introduction to the first movement, and I think it will be impossible to miss the great passion which Tchaikovsky poured into the piece from its very opening notes. Tchaikovsky told Madame von Meck that the first movement was an homage to his musical god, Mozart, and was intended to be an imitation of Mozart's style. While we can certainly hear an intensity in this music that might reflect his reverence for the older master, it's not altogether obvious how Tchaikovsky is imitating Mozart's style. I think the first clues lie in the various symmetries that Tchaikovsky creates the rising and falling of his melodies in symmetrical units, the balance of short phrases with longer phrases, and, sorry to throw a little music theory in here, the very classical form into which Tchaikovsky fits the music of the first movement, which was a form that Mozart himself perfected. In fact, using this rather strict classical form to hold the extroverted romantic music Tchaikovsky writes within it, is also in itself a deliberate balance. So with that in mind, 
Let's listen to how the first movement continues after that grand introduction. Whether you're a listener or a musician or a choreographer or a dancer, you will respond, consciously or not, to the way great composers balance form and substance. That balance is part of why we sense, as Leonard Bernstein once put it, that a great piece has an inevitability about it. It feels as though that's the only way the music could have unfolded. That inevitability in Tchaikovsky's great music and the compelling rhythmic impulses he generated drew George Balanchine again and again to Tchaikovsky's compositions. It just so happened that Serenade was the first original ballet that George Balanchine created in America, and it has become iconic because of its ideal union of music and choreography. The second movement, in a total of four movements in Tchaikovsky's Serenade, is a gracious waltz, it serves as a kind of palate cleanser after the deeply emotional first movement. And in spite of the fact that there is a moment where the violins threaten to interrupt with an insistent, almost imploring phrase of repeated notes, the more easygoing character of the music is quickly restored. Now it's time for a little bit of confusion. First of all, is it serenade or serenade? I'm using the English pronunciation, serenade, to refer to the music, and the French pronunciation, serenade, to refer to the ballet, because that is how we refer to it here at New York City Ballet. And second, 
Tchaikovsky's fourth movement is played third in Balanchine's ballet, and the third movement is saved for last. Although this is a relatively straightforward switch, the dramatic consequences of flipping these two movements is really quite profound because their characters are so completely different. So let's consider them in the order that Balanchine uses them. The Russian theme, which is how Tchaikovsky titles this next movement, does indeed derive its inspiration from two Russian folk songs. And after a quiet, almost suspenseful introduction, Tchaikovsky sends us on a breathless chase that never loses its momentum. ending of Balanchine's ballet, as I mentioned, takes a dramatic turn that is quite the opposite of the exuberant note on which Tchaikovsky leaves his concert listeners. In the ballet, it is the movement titled Elegy, which provides not only the conclusion, but really the emotional heart of Balanchine's creation. Now, I'm usually allergic to using metaphors to describe music, particularly if there's the least danger that they'll sound sentimental. But I hope you'll forgive me if I throw a few of them in here at the end of this podcast. Because as we listen to the end of the elegy, I think that the pulsing accompaniment of the cellos and basses really does suggest a heartbeat. And then as the music begins to ascend slowly, I think it really does sound as if the music is pulling us heavenward, which, by the way, is represented in an absolutely breathtaking way by Balanchine on the stage. And finally, we're left with the pure, crystalline sound of the strings playing harmonics. If you don't know exactly what that means, don't worry. It's a technique that produces an ethereal, otherworldly effect that's a perfect conclusion to Tchaikovsky's and Balanchine's masterpiece. So before leaving you with those concluding measures of music, I want to thank you for joining us on City Ballet, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts to stay up to date on episode releases. Head over to nycballet.com to see what's on our stage, and all of us at New York City Ballet hope to see you soon in the theater. <laughs> ¶¶